Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his feet at his feet, or on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. When Jesus commands those lepers to go show themselves to the priests, he's directing them to fulfill the demands of the law. The Levitical law given by Moses in chapters 13 and 14 regarding leprosy are actually quite clear and extensive. The diagnosis of leprosy is made by the priest. If that sore, lesion, or scab did not fade in seven days, the priest would declare you unclean and force you to isolate, or as we call it today, to social distance. The leper's garments would be inspected and examined and declared either clean, washed and reused, or unclean, to be burned with fire. There were even rules about those who lived with leprosy regarding their home. The home would be cleansed and restored, if it could be. The devastating diagnosis, once confirmed by the priest and by time, was this. He is unclean, he shall dwell alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Leviticus 14.46 But not all leprosy was equal, apparently. There's a broad category in the Bible for all sorts of skin disease when it comes to leprosy, and it appears that much of it is temporary. Thus, not, not only does the Levitical law provide for restoration to the community, it presumes the possibility of healing and a return to normal life. Chapter 14 of Leviticus prescribes what is to be done when healing has been received. When the leprosy has passed, that social distancing and all the other mandates are brought to an end. And Leviticus provides a ceremony, a church service, to declare clean the leper who has been healed. There are all sorts of prescribed offerings and ritual washings and even sacrifices of atonement for sin. Thus, when Jesus says to those lepers, go and show yourselves to the priests, he appears to be directing them to continue in the way of the law, to do what is prescribed. He is standing in the place of the priest of Leviticus 13, outside the city, whose initial diagnosis of healing then leads you into the temple and into the whole ceremonial scheme given by Moses. Go and show yourselves to a to the priests is completely reasonable as a direction for those who have such expectation as religion and culture require. But it appears that one of the ten, the Samaritan leper now clean, is blissfully unaware of all the ceremonies and rites in Jerusalem. Initially he goes with, but then as a Gentile, and at best with only a passing knowledge of Moses' command, he turns back. If you walked him through all the nuance and detail of Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, yes, he might recognize the propriety and reasonableness 
of all the rules regarding leprosy to protect the community from this highly transmissible disease. And incidentally, a disease that does not um, have symptomless transmission. He's been living that life, the life of leprosy, even if he doesn't fully understand why God had spoken to Moses and treated leprosy in the way that he did. But again, as a Samaritan and a Gentile, why would he ever need to go to Jerusalem and learn that custom or perform the rites or receive the priest's declaration and offer the sacrifice of atonement? To say it another way, why would he put himself under the law when the Lord and giver of life stands before him? Of the ten lepers healed by Jesus, only one recognized, it seems, that Jesus was the healer. He has received in his body a divine miracle, and thus he recognizes Jesus as God in the flesh, one who has healed what none of his medicine or doctors or even his prayers had previously given. He sees manifest in his own body now a new testament, not the old covenant of the law, with a gift given, healing, no expectation or demand that it even be reciprocated. The one Samaritan leper believes and confesses that Jesus alone is the giver of the gift, and thus he is the way. The law of Moses has been fulfilled. All the law of Moses, including Leviticus 13 and 14, down to the, every dot, every crossed T, every tail, it's all fulfilled, completed, and ended in Jesus. That includes the purpose of the law, with its temple, the sacrifices, the ceremonies, even the calendar. All of that is to point to Jesus. And now that Jesus has come, regardless of what you are ailed by, what use is Jerusalem? Does this healed man need the temple? Does he need to go to Jerusalem and have the priests inspect him and declare him clean? Did he need to go there and make offerings to show his thanks? Did he need there to offer a lamb slain upon the altar to atone for his sin? <laughs> of course not. God's own son stands right before him. Emmanuel, God with us. The temple not made with hands. The high priest Jesus has already declared him clean by his word. And what greater offering could this man give than to come and fall at Jesus' feet and give him thanks? Even more, why go and offer a lamb of sacrifice when the very lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world, including Samaritan Gentile dogs, is right before him and has for him words of forgiveness, life, and salvation. This leper's sin-ravaged body covered with bandaged sores agrees with what St. Paul later confesses, that all our works are nothing but filthy garments. Jesus has broken this Samaritan out of his prison house of doom, where only death had royal scope and room. He's healed this leper as a free gift, without any merit or worthiness in him. Jesus healed him because that's what Jesus does. He has mercy on those whom he has mercy and so now, why would this leper go to anything or anyone else? 
So at this point, you're probably asking, what does this all have to do with me? Pastor, you've talked a lot about some dude 2,000 years ago who had a great day with Jesus. But I'm not a leper. I don't follow Levitical laws with all their particularity. I'm not even a Samaritan who knows nothing of the true God. I'm not on the road to Jerusalem or living some isolated life because of my illness. But are you so sure? Have you come to church today with a heart slave, slavishly obedient to God's law, coming only to offer the requisite one hour and a half maybe of sacrifice, hoping it's enough to appease an angry God for another week? Are you still living by your flesh, held captive by all its passions and desires? Isn't that a kind of sickness like leprosy? Do you live as a free person with a conscience unburdened? Do you live trusting in Jesus alone for your every need of body and soul? Do your heart and mind, mouth and hands know nothing but forgiveness, compassion, mercy, and love for your neighbor? Or is your life lived in fear and anxiety of what kinds of mockery and shame the world will heap upon you because you are a Christian? Have you failed to speak tongue-tied, afraid to confess Jesus? Maybe even just at the most simple level, are you worried about what your spouse or child or even coworker might say if you just dare forgive them in the name of Jesus? We're not all that different from the lepers. The way sin breaks out in our lives might be different. And sometimes it does rise to the surface of the skin. Sometimes our sin is obvious to ourselves and those around us, as St. Paul said and gave us that really terrible list of the works of the flesh that are evident. But sometimes the heart's corruption is disguised under an illusion of religiosity and goodness, obedience, duty. But either way, it doesn't matter in the end whether you are obviously corrupt with the works of the flesh evident or you've managed to hide the way your flesh holds you captive from everyone around you. That's why God gave Moses that law, including the law concerning leprosy. That's why he spoke in such a way on Mount Sinai to expose and accuse you of your sin. But not to leave you in your sin, but that you would confess, repent, and return to Jesus. And now that the law has done its job, that's it. There it is. As St. Simon Peter confessed, Lord, to whom shall we go? Back to Moses? No. You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. That's why Jesus is here for you today. That's why he's come into your life today to set you free from sin's captivity. He's already said to you, I forgive you. And that declarative word repeating the once and for all promise of your baptism remains true. You are God's own child joined to Christ. You are washed clean in his atoning blood. His righteousness is your clothing a clothing that can never be touched by leprosy. You've been brought into his home 
where nothing can ever separate you from his love. You are forgiven. You are healed. And thus you are set free. You are given to to love and mercy and peace, both here in his church and in the world. Because you have his spirit, who works in you what Moses, the Levitical law, even the Ten Commandments could never do. They made demands but never gave the ability to do them. But now, having been set free from sin, he brings you into a life that is far better than you could have even imagined, now in part and there in eternity. We can hardly even fathom what St. Paul described for us today, which is ours by faith, a life full of love and joy, peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, even self-restraint. But that's your life. That's the life Christ has given you today by forgiving you, healing you, and setting you free. And it is your life eternally in Jesus. So he says to you, Arise and go your way. Your faith in me has saved you. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.